Um, we come to the end of the book of Second uh, Thessalonians, and uh, I really didn't know how to end it. I could have ended it sort of with Bugs Bunny and said, that's all, folks. Um, but uh, there's still about two verses left, and so I want to take some time and go through those two verses. Uh, but before I do, I want to read the book of Second Thessalonians. So I'd invite you to just close your Bibles, if you would like, um, and just listen as we read this text together, and then I'll make some comments on Paul's last words, the way he wraps up this letter uh, to the Thessalonian believers. And uh, trust that God will encourage us through those uh, notes. So listen to the word of God as it's read this morning. Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in all the affliction that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and so to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved 
through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves and an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way that I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Father, we come before you today and are thankful for the word of God, the living, eternal, everlasting word of God. And I thank you for this letter, Father, which you sent through Paul to this young church in Thessalonica. A letter in many ways of encouragement, a letter in many ways that help them understand the context of their lives and help them understand the context of the world in which they lived in and help them understand that this world as we know it is coming to a conclusion that reminded them of this great single event that we all look forward to, the peering of Christ from heaven, the coming of the Lord, that day when we will all be gathered together with him. Father, that is going to be a great day. It is going to be a day when we see you face to face and we who love you and we who know you will be like you because we will see you. But for others, it will be a terrifying day of judgment, a day in which they will be judged and sent into eternal destruction away from your presence. I can't even imagine that, Father. To be away from your presence and the power of your might. 
Father, as the midst of that time, as we wait for that day, though, there will be suffering. There will be affliction. There will be persecution. Lawlessness will increase. There will be tensions without, there will even be tensions within the family of God. We've experienced them here over the years, and there is the potential to experience them in the days to come. But Father, you give us a path in which to walk. You give us encouragement in which to sustain us. And most perfectly of all, you give us Christ. Christ, who is our peace. Christ, whose presence sustains us and guides us. Christ, whose grace instructs us. So help us, Father, as a people, to embrace your word, to obey its commands, and to revel in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. These are Paul's last words, the last ones that I read to this particular church in Thessalonica. And they're amazing words. You wonder, what will keep a family together? What will keep a church together in the midst of persecution, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of um, deception, in the midst of growing and increasing lawlessness? What will keep a church together in the midst of all of that? Well, in a word, it's Christ. It's Christ, as we unite around Christ, as Christ is in us, as Christ is around us, as Christ is within us, we will be strong and we will be united. You notice in those last words that Paul writes to them how Christ is the center of all three things that he says to them. He says, and now may the Lord of peace himself, the Lord, which is Christ, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace in every way and in all circumstances. May the Lord himself be with you. May you experience the presence of the Lord. And may the grace of the Lord be with you. There we have the peace of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, and the grace of the Lord. Things that bind us together, things that tie us together as a body of Christ, as individuals, as families in unique places in the world in which you live. It's Paul's way of saying Christ needs to be the center of your life. Christ needs to be the center of your family. Christ needs to be the center of your church. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is this your first time maybe hearing that? Have you been thinking about Christ and learning about Christ or investigating Christ? He makes it uh, possible for you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The place to begin to experience the presence of Christ and the peace of Christ and the grace of Christ is to enter into a relationship with Christ. And it's an offer that he makes to any and all who would look to him and say, I can't do it on my own. I can do nothing in my own. I trust you alone, Christ. Christ needs to be the center of our life. But then he needs the center of our home. How is Christ the center of your home? Would it be true that, that we could say, and as you think about your home and as, as you sort of review your home, is Christ the center of your home? How is he the center of your home? What does it look like that Christ is the center of your home? And what about us as a church? How is Christ the center of our church? How is he seen to be the center of our church. Well, Paul describes it for us, and I just want to take some time to go through three things that we are told about the Lord, the center of our life and the center of our church. The very first thing that Paul says is the Lord of peace himself. I think it's just important and helpful to remind us that we don't have a savior who sends us a substitute. We don't have a savior who has a stand-in for him. It's Christ himself who is our peace. 
It's Christ himself who has dealt with the issues that destroy peace. It is Christ himself that has broken down every barrier that we face. It is Christ himself that is the reconciliation for us before the Father. It's useful and important that we remind ourselves that it is the person of Christ himself, God in flesh, that is the one that secures our, feet, our peace. The Bible describes him, and we're coming into a season where we will hear this in songs and be reminded of again and again, that he is the prince of peace. That's the characteristic of Christ. One of the main characteristics of Christ is that his rule and his reign and his character is described as one of peace. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul says of, uh, of Christ that he is our peace. He himself is our peace. Christ is God's gift of peace to us. Peace comes to us in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. I often think sometimes that peace with God is something almost unimaginable and unattainable. How is it that we who are creatures who have disobeyed God, who have rebelled against God, who have gone our own way, who are at enmity with God, who are hostile towards God, who are in a kingdom that is opposed to God, how is it that we ever come to be at peace with that God? I'm struck sometimes as I think about my past and I am absolutely in awe that God in his grace and his mercy set his hand upon me and drew me out of darkness into light. And that through Jesus Christ, I am justified. I am made right with God. And therefore, I am at peace with God. And there is no condemnation, therefore, for me. That is beyond explanation. That is beyond imagination. That is beyond anything I could ever dream of. That I can be at peace with the God who made this world and everything in it and whom I rebelled against. I think to be at peace with God is one of the most incredible realities that you can experience in this world and in this life. That of all the turmoil that is out there, of all the chaos that is out there, of all the anxiety-producing realities that are out there, the greatest one is my tension with God, and that tension is removed by Christ. And I can be at peace with God. It's, I think maybe Paul has got in his mind the ironic blessing back in Numbers, which we say from time to time in our church. Because the peace that we receive is not something that we earn. It's not something that we can pursue. It's something that was given to us. He says, and now may the Lord of peace himself, what? Give you peace. And so we can trace that theme through the Bible. Back in Numbers chapter six, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and what? give you peace. Have you received the peace that God gives? Have you received the peace of salvation? Have you received the peace of truth, knowing that God is the king over all this world and that amidst all the chaos, God is reigning? Have you received the peace that only God can give to you in the context of your home or your relationships? In another place, we read, Jesus, as he's speaking to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I what? I give to you. Well, what is Christ giving them when he says, my peace I give to you? Well, it's certainly the truth that, that he lived by and the truth that he experienced, but it's also the example and the confidence that he had in his heavenly father. 
And so as he was asleep in the, uh, in the bow of the boat, as the storm was tossing fast asleep, he was at peace because he could trust his father because he knew that his father would not allow anything to happen to him before his time was up. That he knew that his father was the one that controlled the winds and the, and the, and the storm. And so he could be at peace. And so it's that peace, that confidence in the father, that relationship with the father that he would give to his disciples. It was a relationship with God. It was an understanding of his father that he could give to his disciples. And so Jesus Christ gives us and models for us a relationship with the father, which is characterized by peace. Have you learned from following Jesus of the peace that characterized his life and of the peace that he can give to you? Again, one of my favorite texts as we come into the Christmas season is found in one of the four hymns of Christmas. It says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven, the dawn is about to break on us. That is Jesus Christ. And what does he do? To give, you, to give light to those who are in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide your feet in the path of peace. Isn't that what we need? Don't we need, you know, we go on holidays somewhere and we often hire a guide. And we hire a guide so they can take us to different spots of a particular place that we're at and, and highlight certain things for us. Some people hire guides to take them fishing. So hopefully they can catch a fish because the guides supposedly know where the fish are and know what to use to catch the fish. Well, here we have a guide in the path of peace. Peace in our relationships, peace with our spouse, peace with our children, peace amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ is our guide to peace. He instructs us how to walk. He, he puts the signpost for us. He puts the boundaries of what leads to peace in front of us. He's the guide for, again, what makes for peace in your home, what makes for peace in your office, what makes for peace in our church. And notice, notice, it's a comprehensive peace. He says there that, may the Lord himself give you peace. And notice what he says, in all times and in every circumstance. Do you believe that? Is that your experience right now? Are you characterized by peace in the midst of all the circumstances that you're facing? Are you characterized by, by, by walking in peace in the midst of tension in your home or tension amongst brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you believe that through Christ you can experience peace in every circumstance and in every way? It really drills down to what do we believe about Christ? Do we believe this word? Do we do believe that Christ is the Prince of Peace or, or is it just a, a concept in our head but it has no real practical impact in my life? If we can't find our way to peace in any given circumstance, in any situation that we find ourselves in, then we don't believe that Christ is the Lord of Peace. If you don't believe that you can come to peace in your relationship with your spouse, then you don't believe that Christ is the Lord of Peace. 
If we don't believe that Christ can resolve any situation that we find ourselves in a church and no matter how difficult and no matter how hard it is, then we don't believe that Christ is the Lord of peace. Paul says that he is the Lord of peace himself in every circumstance and in every way. Peace always, no matter what happens. Paul is reminding these believers in a world that's out of control, in a, in a world where they're facing conflicts among themselves as a Christians, in a, in a world where they're worried about deception and about false teachers, he's reminding them that there is a path of peace, that there is a person of peace, and that person of peace gives peace to us in every circumstance and in every way. And how does that work? Have you thought that through? How does that work? One of the ways that we experience the peace of Christ is because we work at it. One of the verses that I think of in relation to this is Colossians 3.15. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule your heart. What rules your heart? Is it bitterness? Is it envy? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it worthy? Some worry. Something rules your heart. And if it's anything other than peace, we will be characterized by discord and by fear and by anxiety and worry. And so Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Let the path of peace constrain your heart. Let the path of peace or let the peace of Christ determine how you respond, how you will react, how you will deal with the situation and the circumstances that are causing you unrest. Or we can turn to Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your heart. That's amazing. You know, I... I think of my heart, the center of who I am, all that I think about, all that I feel, all that I understand, me, Paul. And the Bible tells me there's a sentinel or there's a guard of me. Let the peace of God guard your heart. Let the truth of God, let the power of God, let the sovereignty of God, let the knowledge of God, all of that constrained in the peace of God. Let it absorb all the circumstances. Let it absorb all the dissonance in your life. Let it absorb all of the, all of the, the hatred. Let it absorb all of the worry and all of the anxiety and let the peace of God guard your heart. Settle it, encourage it, put it at rest. Peace is not a given, is it? Peace is something that we receive. Peace is something that we experience. Open your hearts to the person of peace and to the gift that he gives. The second thing that Paul mentions to this church is the Lord be with you all. It's not a flippant statement at all. It's an amazing statement of scripture. Let the Lord be with you all. I'm amazed at this. Paul is writing, first of all, to a church that is in discord. 
There are some that are walking in obedience. There are some that are walking in disobedience. He doesn't say, let the Lord be with the good ones. When you eat your Smarties, do you eat the red ones last? Maybe the red ones are the bad ones. I don't know. He says, let the... See, my mind goes crazy on me. He says, let the Lord be with you all. Those of us who are walking in obedience at every given time need to remind ourselves that it's the presence of the Lord that guides us and constrains us. It's an awareness of the presence of the Lord that helps us not judge others and helps us not condemn others. It's an awareness of the presence of the Lord that surrounds us, that constrains our thinking, just as it is an awareness of the presence of the Lord in the disobedient that convicts them and, and says, you need to bring your lives back in line with the word of God. So we all need to be aware of the presence of the Lord. It's for every single one of us. Are you aware of the presence of the Lord in your life? Like when you wake up in the morning as a child of God, are you aware of the presence of the Lord? Do you remind yourself, oh God, you are with me now. You are with me today. I need to be aware of you when I sit down and when I talk with my staff. I need you to be with me when I sit down and talk with my spouse. We've had a difficult time. It's the presence of the Lord that constrains your behavior. It's the presence of the Lord that constrains your attitudes and your emotions. It's an awareness of the presence of the Lord that guides you in safe paths. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in dark valleys. His presence is with me. Even though I walk through the dark valleys, your presence is with me. Do you remind yourself of that when you're walking through darkness? When you find that everybody else has left you, everybody else has abandoned you, or the circumstances you can't share with anybody, but you know you're in darkness, are you aware of the presence of the Lord? Paul was encouraged by the Lord one night as he gave him a vision. And the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. Nobody will harm you. The assurance of the presence of God as we walk the path that he has given us. Oh, I know sometimes there's fear ahead of us. I know sometimes we don't know what's around the bend, but we need to remind ourselves who's with us. The Lord is with us. Paul wrote to Timothy, and I like this. It's not that the presence of the Lord is just ex external to us. He says to him, the Lord be with your spirit. Inside me. Not just around me in the circumstances that I face, but inside of me. Do you know as, as a church, we need the presence of the Lord? Do you know that? I hope you know when we've gathered together here, we're not just a bunch of human beings. We are that, but we're more than that. We are the family of God in which we experience his presence together. And so when we are gathered here right now, we are not alone. Do you know that Christ is with us? That constrains us, that guides us. His presence helps us. I was rereading Revelation as I was thinking about this. And in the book of Revelation, we are reminded of how God is present among the churches as John is having this vision and is reminded of this. He sees a vision of the Lord and it says, in his right hand, he held the seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was shining in full strength and he was in the midst of the lampstands, which are the church. He's present with them. And then you read the introduction to all of those seven churches and some of them, it says, I know where you live. Why? Because he's there. 
is I know your works. Why? Because he's in the midst of us. I know the context of your world. Why? Because God is present with us. Where two or three are gathered, there the Lord is with you. It's a reminder to this church in Thessalonica and to us of how we need to remind ourselves in the midst of all we're walking through and all we're facing together that the Lord is with us. I am thankful for that. That should constrain our behavior. That should guide our behavior. That should help us in our relationships. That should help me when I go in the world. And that should help us as a church to know that the Lord is with us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do you know that? When you go to school tomorrow, when you go to university tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, do you go with the knowledge that the Lord is with you and therefore he will help you? His presence is not only around you, but it's in you. Oh, the Lord is with us all. When we're good and when we're bad, the Lord is with us all. And then thirdly, he says to them, the grace of our Lord be with you. And notice what he says. Not with some of you. The grace of the Lord be with you all. That's because we all need grace. That's because there's not a single person in a marriage relationship, in a family relationship, in a work relationship, in a church relationship that can live pleasing to God outside of grace. And so we all need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, notice it's not for a select few. The grace of the Lord be with you all. See, if it wasn't grace, then for some it would be by works. That's how I get favor with God because I work really hard and therefore God likes me. For some, it would be, well, their money. Well, I have a lot of money and I give a lot of money. Therefore, God is good towards me or I come from the right family and therefore God will be gracious to me. No, 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 not at all. We need divine grace, every single one of us. Do you know the difference between grace and mercy. We receive mercy from God, and what is that? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And that's, that in itself is incredible, that God does not treat us according to our sins. But grace is getting what we don't deserve. Often you hear in marriage, and it seems more often spoken to men than women, he married up. <laughs> and I think that's sometimes true uh, because of the grace that we receive in marriage and we learn about in marriage. See, grace levels the playing field, doesn't it? We all come to God in the same way. As, as a church, we are all members of the body of Christ in the same way. There's not a single one of us that is a rung higher than the other person. We are all recipients of what we do not deserve, the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whatever we have received from God, we have received entirely from God, not because we deserved it, but because he's a gracious God. So why then are we so demanding? Why are we so harsh? Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the presence of Christ moderate. Let the grace of Christ permeate. Think about that in your homes, 
in your marriages if the grace of God were to moderate your marriage? Giving towards your spouse what they don't deserve, maybe forgiveness, maybe kindness. Giving to your children what they don't deserve, kindness, great, um, forgiveness, blessings. What if grace moderated our relationships as a family of God? Forgiveness, love covers a multitude of sins. Grace is a really amazing concept. And it's not just a philosophical concept. It's not something in our head, but grace is something that can be enfleshed. Something that can be embodied in speech and in actions and in our lives. Have you ever seen a gracious person? Like, do you know a gracious person? I said, tell me, describe to me a gracious person. Is there somebody that pops into your head? Gracious people are some of the most wonderful people in the world. And I say this, and I know she'll probably, well, she has to be gracious to me. My wife is probably one of the most gracious people I know. Certainly gracious towards me, um, gracious towards our grandkids and our children. It's a beautiful trait to see in people, graciousness. And as I say, it's embodied. So for instance, we hear of Christ. In Titus, the grace of God appeared. How did it appear? Well, it appeared to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ was the embodiment of grace. And so we can look at Christ and you can read about Christ and you can see what grace looks like. And so as you read the gospel, you see Jesus dealing with people who have sinned and he says, I forgive you, now go and sin no more. That's amazing. That's giving them what they don't deserve. Jesus spoke to another group of people who were about to kill somebody. And he, he said to them, well, listen, that, then, then let him who, who, who is without sin cast the first stone. That was both gracious to them and gracious to the person they were going to stone. When Jesus is speaking about grace and People are mocking him, saying, you have no power to forgive sins. Who are you to forgive sins? And he says to a man who is crippled, he says, just so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins, pick up your mat, walk, and go home. And the man jumped up. He hadn't walked, and he walked home. The gift of grace to that man. We hear about the grace and compassion of Jesus to the crowds that he dealt with on a regular basis. As John describes, this is the word, which is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. We have seen with our eyes his glory as of the only, of the only son from the Father, full of grace. May that be more and more true of us. In our marriages, in our homes, and in our workplaces, and here in Parksville, Fellowship Baptist Church. May we be full of grace towards one another. Hebrews talks about a throne of grace. I am so thankful that for the believer, God's throne is a throne of grace. 
Isn't that, isn't that wonderful that when we go before God, we don't have to beg and plead and say, okay, God, well, I've done this, this, and this for you. And you know, well, if you do that for me, I'll do this, this, and this. It's a throne of grace. It's a throne where the undeserving go and receive wonderful gifts and the lavish outpouring of God's blessing upon them. We ought never to go to that throne thinking, oh, he's gonna whack me this time. Or, oh man, I've got, he's got this list against me and the list is really out of balance this time. No, it's we go before the throne of grace. We go before the one who rules with such beauty and wonder that he so often is characterized. He's always characterized by giving us what we don't deserve. It doesn't mean we're spoiled brats. It it simply means that our father is incredibly gracious to us and Christ is the embodiment of that grace. And we're to model grace. We, you and I. It says in Peter, as he wraps up his letter, he says, but grow in grace. That's a beautiful thing to grow in, isn't it? Grow in bitterness. (sighs) Grow in unforgiveness. Grow in anger. No, none of that. Those are destructive to relationships. They're destructive to a church. He says, grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. And what is Christ? He's peace. It's his presence. It's an example of grace. Do you see how the Lord Jesus Christ then, if you make him the center of your life, can impact your life, your marriage, your home, and our church? It's actually a beautiful picture here. Learn from the Lord's grace. Be gracious to others who you don't like. Be gracious to those who have sinned against you. Be gracious towards those who think differently than you. Consider how Christ has extended his grace to you and now extend that grace to others. Aren't we all in need of grace? Don't you just once in a while, when when somebody, you've done something wrong and somebody doesn't treat you as you deserve, but they treat you with kindness and love? Isn't that just like a breath of fresh air? And wow, why? I just wanted to be gracious. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves such a good person as I. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. T'was grace has brought me safe thus far. Not my works, not my good deeds, not my improvement, not my increased giving to the church, not my increased works in the community, but grace has brought me safe thus far. I love that, safe, I'm safe in the hands of a savior of grace. And now I'm halfway there, now work will lead me home. No, grace will lead me home. Where do we learn the boundaries of peace and presence and grace? We learn it in the word of God. This is why I think the verse four, I believe it is, or maybe it's even earlier than that. Uh, Verse one of chapter three, he says, pray for us. And what does he ask prayer for? He says that the word of God may run ahead and be honored. That's what we should pray for, for our families, for our marriages, for our church, that it's the grace of God that would 
infiltrate. The grace of God would, would, would run ahead in our lives. That It's the word of God that teaches us the pathway to peace. It's the word of God that helps us understand the presence of Christ. It's the word of God that teaches us about grace. He says, I pray for us that the word of God may speed ahead and what? Be honored. That means obeyed. That means practiced. And so it says the word of God speeds ahead in our homes and in our church. And as it is honored that we experience the peace that Christ gives, the presence that Christ brings, and the grace that Christ models. May God help us as we think through these things to think often about them and to be characterized them. And when we face situations in every given day, say, Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for his characterization of peace. Would you give me peace through Christ in every circumstance at all times? Father, I don't know what this day holds, but I know that I can't face this day without an awareness of the presence of Christ. Father, I've got to have this conversation. Would Christ constrain that conversation? Father, I have a tendency to be bitter and angry. Help me learn from the grace that Christ gives to all. This is how we stand as children of God in the light of the return of Christ. We stand in the peace that Christ gives. We stand in the presence that Christ gives. And we stand in the grace that Christ gives. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for ways in which your word spoken to a little congregation some 2,000 years ago has relevance for this congregation today. The word of God is profitable for all these teachings, for, for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. Thank you for this word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.